Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 21. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is the word of the Lord. New pulpits are always a bit of a challenge. You're not sure what you're going to bang into or where you're going to drop things or anything else like that. I want to say, first of all, what a, what a joy and a privilege it is for my wife Kathy and I to be with you this morning. Uh, it's a delight to worship with God's people wherever you go, but uh, to be almost home here. We live in Honeybrook, and we're for a number of years at Great Valley in uh, Melbourne, so you're not out of the geographical area by much. I kind of grew up on a farm in, in western Pennsylvania, and uh, so my background was in farming, and one of the things that was significant uh, in farming was the Agricultural Extension Office. Uh, the Agricultural Extension Office was the resource for farmers, and uh, you could find out and do all sorts of things through the office that perhaps as a small farmer you weren't able to do for yourself. My father loved to tell the story of a farmer who was out in the field plowing, and um, the Agricultural Extension agent pulled up on the road beside him, the field, got out of the car, and kind of waited till the farmer made his rounds and stopped near the fence. And the extension agent explained to him the reason he was there was to invite the farmer to a set of evening classes at the local high school. And he said, the point of it is to um, help you to know more about how to farm. To which the farmer replied, I already know how to farm better than I do. I already know how to farm better than I do. Well, the emphasis, of course, was on unknowing and to the farmer's hope to doing. What good is the knowing if you don't do what you know? But, you know, in our world today, the world of, of social media and 24-hour cable and Internet, we can get more information or misinformation in, in seconds than you can use in a lifetime, and yet we ask ourselves, are we any better off? 
with the result of all that knowledge. How does that knowledge inform and form the way we live? You know, unlike the farmer, the solution is not to know less, but to do what we in fact know. And if that's true for the world at large, then how much more true is it the case for us who as Christians claim to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your little uh, paragraph at the beginning of the bulletin, I had uh, quoted from John Stott, who says, let no one say that doctrine does not matter. Good conduct arises out of good doctrine. It is only when we have grasped clearly who we are in Christ that the desire will grow within us to live a life that is worthy of our calling and fitting to our character as God's new society. So yes, knowing is important. Having sound doctrine, having the faith once for all delivered to the saints as a part of our understanding is absolutely foundational. Do not let me or do not hear me saying anything that would put that into question. That's not my intention. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, to add to your faith knowledge. But to knowledge, add self-control, and to self-control, add perseverance, and to perseverance, add godliness. To godliness, add brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection or kindness, add love. And the word there is the agape love that we all probably have heard and, and understand. So we need to add to our knowledge. And Peter says then in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the challenge before us is, yeah, like the former, we already know more than we do. But if we are to be effective and fruitful as followers of Jesus, we need not only to know it, but we have to walk in the light of that truth. And what Paul is doing here is he, he writes Ephesians. Ephesians is a marvelous letter. Um, it is rich in theology, but it's also rich in encouragement. It, it is rich in exhortation. It, it is a, a letter, if you will, written to friends, though Paul may not have seen the particular churches to which this letter was eventually circulated in Asia Minor. But it is, it is an encouragement to fruitful, productive living. And that comes through walking in the light. So a number of years ago, we lived in Minneapolis, and we had the chain of lakes through the center of town. And around those lakes were two paths. One was for walkers and runners, and the other was for bicyclists and rollerbladers. And I was out running with my dog one day, and there was a guy behind me on the walking running path on a bicycle. Now, already I knew I didn't want to give him eye contact because you never know somebody that's strange. You don't know what they're up to. But he's sort of muttering to himself as I ran along and he kept pace behind me. And we came to a point where the, both paths came down to the edge of a street and the bicycle path kind of went off into the street and the running walking path kept around the lake. And as he got to that point, he said one thing that I have never forgotten. I, I think in retrospect, he was, sort of <clears throat> he was sort of narrating a boxing match, at least in his mind. But as he pulled off to bicycle away, again, I never gave him eye contact. I couldn't tell you what he was like, how old or young or anything. But he said this. He said, champ, 
Sometimes it takes willpower to have willpower. I think he was onto something. Sometimes it takes willpower to have willpower. And I liken that to the glow plug for a diesel engine. Again, we were in Minnesota, and one of my friends in the church had been in the Air Force at Minot Air Force Base up on the distant early warning line. And he said they started the diesel engines in September, and they didn't shut them down till April. Because if you shut down a diesel engine and it's that cold, you're not starting it again. You need that glow plug if the engine's going to run. And so what Paul does is, is try to present, if you will, a glow plug for Christians. Motivations for our life based on what we know. Motivations to do what we know. And so I want to look with you this morning at, at four, if you will, motivations that Paul presents. This sort of uh, four glow plugs, if you will, to encourage us to walk in the manner worthy of our calling. If you start with me back in verse 5 of our text... Paul has confronted, in verses 3 and 4, the sexual immorality of the culture around them. He says that there shouldn't be any of that among you, even the filthiness and foolish talk, etc., is out of place. Let there instead be thanksgiving. And in verse 5, he says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The first motivation, I want to say, is the certainty of judgment. Paul says, you may be sure of this. And then is the next verse. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, the Gnostics in Paul's day were arguing that the physical body that we have didn't really matter. The important thing was to sort of be spiritually pure and, and, and spiritually elevated and spiritually alive. But, but, of course, if the body doesn't matter, then whatever you do with the body doesn't matter either. And so they encouraged almost this kind of living that said, yes, spiritually we're fine, materially, physically doesn't really matter. They, they were the Gnostics of the day. And I think, you know, in a, in a way, uh, those Gnostics are still among us today. I would argue that universalism is a Gnosticism that says essentially it doesn't matter what you do or even what you believe, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It reminds me of um, a time my wife and I were biking. We lived in Scotland and then in England when we were first married, and we were biking through the English countryside, long story in details, but we got invited home by a, a, a man to have dinner with him and his family. And as we were getting to know him a little bit, I explained that we had been at Labrie, which was a Christian study center south of London. That's where I became a believer uh, through the ministry of Dr. Francis Schaefer. And so I was pretty excited about that at the time. And I, I sort of shared a little of that with him. And he was somewhat condescending, though you know, we were his guests. He said, I, that's great. He said, I think everybody should believe something. It doesn't really matter what it is, but you just need to believe it. Well, I was his guest. I didn't want to confront him. So I, I kind of let that go. And then as he kind of opened up more about his life and his neighborhood, he was complaining about a neighbor who was just a couple of houses away. Uh, the guy had recently moved into the neighborhood and had blocked the entrance or the access to a local walking trail. He put up stones so you couldn't pull your car into the roadhead and all sorts of complaints about how unfriendly this fellow was. And, and, and Bob, our host, finally said, you know, I don't understand this guy. I don't know what he's thinking. And I said to him, Bob, you know, you, you excuse me, but you said a moment ago that it didn't really matter what you thought or believed, just you had to do something. 
He said, no, no, no. He said, I, I, I meant that for like religion and, and philosophy. And he stopped himself. He said, I guess it does matter what you believe, doesn't it? I wasn't going to argue with him at all. But you see, it does matter what we believe because if in fact we do not believe that there is a judgment to come, we are going to live our lives in a way that ignores that truth. And Paul wants his readers and wants you and me to take seriously the certainty of judgment so that in fact we are encouraged to be diligent, to pursue what it is that we know that it might reflect in our lives. So the first, if you will, glow plug is the certainty of judgment. Do not be deceived, he says further in Galatians. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But the second thing that Paul points to as an encouragement to us, he says, do not become partners with them, you know, don't participate in the things you do. For, because, if you will, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You were there and now you're here. You've been changed. John Newton's famous comment, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. As believers, as, as those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, we are not what we once were. And that should encourage us. The, the reality of our faith and, and how it has unfolded, it has blossomed, if you will, in light Walk as children of light. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, your life should shine as light. Paul says, the fruit of light, here we are back to fruitfulness, is found in all that is good, some translations, and righteous. There's that holy sense rather than simply right. It's good and, and not correct, but righteous and true. So, walk as children of light, try to discern what is pleasing, and take no part in unfruitful works, but expose them. He says in verse 13, anything exposed by light becomes visible, and anything that becomes visible is light. Now, he doesn't say is in the light, but he says is light. So, Jesus says, let your light shine so that others may see it and praise your Father in heaven. That, that anything that becomes visible is light. You know, if you've ever been on a cave expedition or in a coal mine, at some point the guide always turns the lights out, and then you're there, you know, your hand can be this close to your face, and you can see nothing, absolutely nothing in the dark. But if someone has a light, and now we all have phones with flashlights on, someone turns a light on, not, not only can you see as a result of that light, but you can see that light. You know, it, it is the light itself that draws us. It doesn't just illuminate, but it becomes light itself. And so what Paul is saying is that, that, that when we begin to display the kinds of things that are the result of coming to know Jesus as Savior, we not only give light, but we are light. And, and as a result, people will come to us to see, what, what do you have that I don't have? Why does your life work and mine not seem to? 
When I was a kid, we had little 45 RPMs with a large hole in the middle. Anybody remember those? We had Oklahoma, the musical, on. And one of the things I thought was most funny as a kid was when Curly was, let's just say, encouraging Judd Fry to consider suicide in the smokehouse. And he is painting for Judd this picture of the funeral where everybody will come and pay homage to him. And, and the women and children will be weeping and crying. And he says this, which as an adult I've got to appreciate even more and it's no longer funny. Judd Fry loved the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He loved the mice and the vermin in the barns. And he treated the rats like equals, which was right. And he loved little children. He loved everybody and everything in the whole world, only he never let on, so nobody ever noted. Isn't that a sad summation of a life? To have all these things be, quote, true and never be seen. Judd never let on, so nobody ever noted. And Paul is saying to his readers and to us, look, Conversion here, conversion is a waking sleeper and a rising from the dead and having Christ shine on you. Again, to quote John Stott, he says, conversion is nothing less than a waking out of sleep, rising from death, and being brought out of darkness into the light of Christ. No wonder, says Stott, that we are summoned to live a new life in consequence. That glow plug is the reality of our own faith. What happened to you should be the question of people who meet us or see us or work with us or know us. What happened to you? Jesus happened to me. And I want to live worthily of that light, to walk as a child of light. But the next thing Paul says then in verse 18, excuse me, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. There's a benefit of wisdom to be had when we live out our Christian life. That should be a motivation for us. We want to make our lives work better. We want to make them act better. We want them to show differently. And we need to do that by walking in wisdom. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise. Make the best use of time, the days are evil. Don't be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now that word walk, you see, it appears about seven times in the book of Ephesians, and three of those times are here in chapter 5. And, and that word walk, you could sort of understand as the word behave. We used to say to our kids, now just behave. And the answer, at least to one of them, was, I am being have. I am being have. Well, Paul is saying, behave, walk carefully. Everything that is worth doing requires care. You know, whether it's your education, your home, your family, your job, your hobbies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <clears throat> you have to treat it seriously. I served in the Navy, and one of the things that was sort of common understanding in the Navy was never time to do it right, always time to do it over. That was a sad commentary, but that was too often true. And Paul's in essence saying, you don't have time to do it wrong and then try to do it over. You need to walk carefully, discerning what the Lord's will is. There's a 
auto shop in our town in Honeybrook has a little sign out front that says, one thing you can't recycle is wasted time. One thing you can't recycle is wasted time. Someone wrote once, lost yesterday, somewhere between sunrise and sunset, two golden hours, each set with 60 diamond minutes. No reward offered, for they are gone forever. The time that we have to spend is precious. And Paul says, if we are wise, if we discern what the will of the Lord is, and he has used that same word earlier in verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. James reminds us in chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproaching, and it will be given to him. Again, as I said, I grew up on a farm. My dad had been a farmer for more years than I had ever been alive, and he already knew more about farming, probably forgotten more about farming, than I was ever going to learn. One of the unfortunate implications or consequences of that was I was always ignorant, and I was always behind. You know, as a six-year-old or seven-year-old kid, you wake up at 7 o'clock, it's time to get get going. Dad had been up by two hours. And you come into my bedroom and wake me up and wondering why I hadn't been up two hours ago. It's an incredible burden to wake up and start life two hours behind, especially when you're a seven-year-old kid. You know, that that weighs heavily on you as life unfolds. But, but, But there was a certain seriousness in farming. Any of you acquainted with that know that. And there's a certain seriousness in life as well. We don't want to wake up behind. We don't want to do it over because we did it wrong. Now, that's not to speak against grace and forgiveness. Don't hear me saying that at all. It's simply to say that we need to discern the Lord's will, not being foolish, and then make the best use of our time. Discerning the Lord's will can can take the place of the general will, and, and as one commentator says, the The general will of God for the people of God is the word of God. So in general terms, we know what God's will for us is. And and Paul will go on as he unfolds in chapters 5 and 6 how we are to behave as a result of being Christians. But that's, that's in general. Now, what school you should go to, what job you should take, what person you should marry, you know, where you might move, all of those things are what we might call the particular will of God. And and that's not going to be found by, you know, thumbing through the book of Numbers or Acts. That's not there. Those are the kinds of things that that we need to pray about, to think carefully about, to, you know, counsel with other believers. And and often circumstances simply will dictate things. I know when my, my wife and I were seeking the call that eventuated us in us being called to Great Valley Church, um, there were a number of churches that wanted us to come and consider being pastor there. And it can get confusing. You lose sight of what it is you really want or what God might want for you. And we finally came to this decision. Look, if, if they have a manse or a parsonage, whatever the word is you use here, um, and we walk in and the living room is blue instead of green, we're going to take that as a sign from God that this isn't for us. Now, that sounds petty, right? And that sounds small. You you can get used to blue. But but you see, there's so many things you can get used to that you can lose sight of yourself. 
And I think in, in one sense what we need to do is be true to the self that we were made to be in terms of gifts and experience and training and even desires. You know, the Lord <clears throat> will grant you the desires of your heart, not, you know, like, I wish I had a pony. That's not what we're talking about. It's like the Lord will place desires in your heart that he will then begin in circumstances to meet those desires. They come from him and he fills them. So for us who were, you know, kind of confused or at least you know, had so many options. Let's just pick something that is expressive of us and allow the Lord to use that circumstance to guide us. Now, you know, had we heard a voice in the night saying, go here instead of there, I'm sure we would have obeyed in fear and trembling. But failing that, how do you make decisions? Well, it's prayer and thinking and counsel and circumstances and sometimes just what you bring to that table. And we don't want to disdain that. God has made each of us uniquely and he honors the gifts that he has given to us if we honor him as the giver of those gifts. And then Paul goes on to say, you know, understand what the Lord's will is, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything, to God the Father, in the name of Jesus, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's a long sentence, beginning in verse 18. One thing I want you to point, see, a little, we'll do a little Greek geeking here for you. There are, there are two imperatives in the paragraph. One is don't get drunk, and the second is be filled with the Spirit. Those are commands. Those are commands. And then there are four participles of, of if you will, how you fill out how you unfold those commands. And the first is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. I think that it's fellowship and worship. It's what you experience when you come together like this morning. You know, the Spirit is here. We sing, we rejoice, we greet. That's the gift, Paul says, when you're being filled with the Spirit that you have. That should be motivation to live out faithfully your Christian life because of the blessing of fellowship. The other thing he says, singing and making melody to the Lord. ESV says, with your heart. Other translations suggest perhaps in your heart. Making music in your own heart for the ears of the Lord. You know, all God's children got a place in the choir. Some sing low, some sing higher, sing out loud on the telephone wire, and others clap their hands or paws or anything they got, right? That, that there is a place for us inside ourselves to rejoice in the Lord. Doesn't have to come out, doesn't have to be heard. You know, no one's checking us to see if we're on note, on tune. No, it's, it's our worship inside. And Paul says that's part of the gift of the imperative, be filled with the Spirit. You have the fellowship with one another, you have worship inside yourself, and then you have gratitude. Give thanks for everything. Uh, it, again, I was in the Navy, and one of the things I learned was a Navy shower. You went in, you got wet, you shut the water off, you soaked up, you turned the water on, you rinsed off, and you were done. It's a wonderful thing if you have teenage daughters, you could teach that to them, you'd save an awful lot of water, but that's a whole other subject. But the point is, you, you rejoice in the gift of that shower. And as I'm in there, I'm led to pray for prisoners, especially brothers and sisters in Christ who we know are persecuted. I had a good night's sleep in a soft bed, and I wake up to hot water and a shower. And whether it's a Navy shower or, you know, or 15 minutes, do your own thing, it's an opportunity to give thanks. 
Lord, thank you for hot water. Thank you that I can be in this shower. And I pray for brothers and sisters who are not so privileged. But, but that's an opportunity to give thanks. And, and that's a gift out of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he said, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, that verse and the following ones kind of get abused sometimes or misunderstood. But I think it suffice it to say that if we are grateful to God for his gifts to us, and we submit to him in his goodness and in his mercy and grace, it not not be that hard to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And Paul goes on to unfold what that submission would look like in the social relationships of his day. I'm not going to go there. I'm simply going to say the, the four consequences or the four gifts, the four, if you will, glow plugs to faithful living that we find here in this, these three verses are, are fellowship and worship and gratitude and submission. And we're going to be, as a result, related to one another and to God in harmonious and joyous and fulfilling ways. But just a little more Greek geekdom for you here, because this is important. You recall the wedding in Cana, in, in, uh, that Jesus was at the wedding and they ran out of wine, and, and then he is told by his mother, you know, fix it. And he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now that word fill there is in the imperative uh, mood, but it is not a present. It is an heiress. Fill it, you're done with it. Fill the jars, they filled the jars, they were done. That word fill is an heiress, once done and finished. But this is a present imperative. This is keep on being filled. Keep on being filled. It's not a one-time thing. You're not one and done. You're keeping on being filled. It's also in a plural form. That is y'all. This isn't for just the spiritual elite. This y'all, y'all, or as one of my Houston friends says, all y'all. I guess that covers everybody. All y'all keep being filled, the whole community. All y'all don't get drunk, but all y'all keep getting filled. And then it's passive. It is, you're not doing anything. The Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit continue to fill you. There's no, there's no technique. There's no magic word. There's no holding your face this way or, or having done a list of things. It's just openness to the Spirit that comes about through a repentant heart. We're going to take communion in a bit. And, and part of that is, is looking into our own hearts and recognizing where we have failed to be what God has called us to be. But, but in that, the Holy Spirit gives to us his presence and his gifts. And then finally, it is, in fact, present. It is keep on being filled, not just one and done. So what Paul has here as he finishes is, is if you will, four glow plugs to all of us and, and both ends of the spectrum of Christian life. You know, maybe you're feeling defeated. Maybe the world has gotten you down. Maybe you just feel like you can't carry the burdens of today. Paul says, be filled. It's, it's not up to you. You will have a, a new love, a joy a peace, a patience, a kindness, a goodness, a gentleness, a faith, faithfulness, self-control. These are the, the fruit of the Spirit, as he says in Galatians. So if you're feeling under the load, under the pile, not knowing where the exit is, this being filled with the Spirit is for you today, to, to be filled in the gifts that God has given you. Why? Because you know and understand Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you're on the other side and you're like, life is doing pretty good, you know, I think I've got this. You know, uh, 
Like we used to say, there may be bugs on some of you mugs, but there ain't no bugs on me. We can get that way spiritually. We, we can hear about somebody else's disasters or difficulties and think, I'm good. I'm good. We used to say in England when I was there, I'm all right, Jack. I've got mine. That's pretty narrow, but some of us can get that way. And, and Paul's encouragement to us is, look, don't be complacent. Don't stop. Keep on being filled. There's, there's more that God wants to give you. You haven't arrived at some spiritual high point that won't ever be repeated or won't ever be advanced on. Just thank God for what he's given you and open yourself to what he has more. So let me go back to my beginning. Sometimes it takes willpower to have willpower. Sometimes we need that glow plug. And, and Paul today would call us to this word, this word that he wrote to brothers and sisters in Christ, this word of, of rich encouragement, of, of rich theology, of rich passion from him as a person. And he would say, here, here is the place to learn to do what you already know. Let's bow together. Father, thank you that you have given to us your word. Thank you that you fill us by your spirit. Thank you that we have encouragement together from your people as we sharpen one another, as we encourage and exhort one another. Father, most of all, thank you for the great promises is ours through the death and resurrection and ascension and reign of our Lord Jesus. And we look forward to the day that he returns. May he find us faithful, for we ask it in his name. Amen.